Uh, let's ask God to help us now with his word. Our Heavenly Father, you know that uh, this heat uh, saps our strength and makes it difficult to concentrate. But we do pray for your mercy. Help us now to attend to your word, to understand it. Above all, we pray, uh, give us the conviction uh, that this word is your word to us, the word of the living God speaking to his people. And help me to speak it truthfully and clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, few things engage our hearts as much as the sickness of our children. When ill, we long for them to be better. When in pain, we want the pain to go. And how we want them to know life, to have the birthdays, know the pleasure of achievement, find the love that we ourselves have experienced. And so we understand the agony of the parents of three-month-old Zachary Matthew Bryant, the little boy killed by James Gargazoulis in Burke Street, whose father said at the sentencing hearing this week, I listened to his heartbeat and held him for the last time, trying desperately to hold on to the moment. He never had the opportunity to have a birthday party. He had a lifetime of first taken from him and all the joys that come with it. We understand, don't we? And we feel his grief. And we understand the desperation that drove this royal official we meet in John 4, this man of influence and wealth, to walk the 25 to 30 kilometres from Capernaum to Cana in Galilee to beg Jesus to come and heal his son who was close to death. We feel the urgency of Jesus' need to act the rightness of the request, having heard Jesus can heal, knowing he was back in Galilee, is what we would have done if we were in his position. But what we don't understand is Jesus' response. Verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. It seems so hard, doesn't it? So out of character of Jesus to treat a desperate father that way. So what's going on? Where's Jesus' compassion? Let's unpack the story to see why we can be confident that there was here no lack of compassion for a desperate man, that the father believing Jesus got better and more than he asked for. Oh, and let's unpack it to see why at the end of this story, which is told for us, people with whom Jesus is not physically present, to see why at the end of the story we can be even more confident in Jesus and his ability to help us and so grateful for this confronting response to a needy man. Well, having spent at the request of the Samaritans two extra days in Sychar in Samaria, Jesus has continued on to Galilee, his own country, the place where he was brought up, he's back amongst his fellow Jews. But as he comes into Galilee, John reminds us of something that Jesus has said, that a prophet has no honour in his own country. Now at first sight that seems odd next to verse 45 and the news of Jesus welcomed by the Galileans. But this recalled comment 
is alerting us to the very issue Jesus highlights in his response to the request of the royal official in verse 48, the response that seems shockingly confronting to a needy man. See, a prophet is someone who brings the word of God and who's received as a messenger of God. The Samaritans have just received Jesus, believed in Jesus because of his word, believed that he is someone who brings the word of God, honoured him as a prophet. They believed the word without signs. But the Galileans received Jesus because of what they had seen him do in Jerusalem the signs and wonders he worked there. And so they are like the people of Jerusalem we met in chapter 2 who had believed in Jesus seeing the signs he was doing. People to whom Jesus could not entrust himself. People whose faith, as we'll see in chapter 6, is in Jesus for what they can get out of him and who have no interest in listening to what Jesus is saying, especially what he is saying about himself and his work, the necessity of his dying and rising. So verses 43 to 45, as well as telling us that Jesus is now back in Galilee, also tell us that the issue as Jesus comes into Galilee to his own people is the word. How people will respond to Jesus' word. Will they receive him as someone who brings the word of God and listen to him, believe him? Or will they treat him as a wonder worker, someone come to help and enhance their life but no more, and so miss out on the life Jesus comes to bring to all who believe in him? It's against this background of inadequate belief that the royal official makes his way to Jesus, desperate for a cure for his son, begging him, verse 47, to come down to Capernaum and heal his son. Jesus replies, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now that's not directed at the official personally, it's plural, it is you people. Jesus is talking about the Galileans, fellow Jews generally, though it does include the official. But the official's not put off by this seeming rebuke of the inadequacy of their faith, of their estimate of Jesus. He replies, Sir, come down before my child dies. He has nowhere else to go and his need is great and urgent. He is facing death, the death of his child, his son. And so he humbles himself and persists with his request. And Jesus responds, but not by doing what he is asked to do. The official says, come down. Jesus, verse 50, says, go, go, your son will live. Jesus gives him a command, go, and he gives him a statement, your son lives. Uh, that's a bit more than your son will live, as the NIV has translated it. it. Your son will live could suggest that Jesus is making a prediction that at some point in the future the son will live. But in Greek, this verb is a present, not a future. He lives, says Jesus, 
from that moment, really, the moment of Jesus speaking. He lives. You see, Jesus is not saying what the man will find when he gets home. Rather, he is saying what is the case at that very moment in his speaking. Your son lives. But is Jesus just saying that because, you know, he knows that it's the case? Or does his saying it make it the case? That is, is Jesus just blessed with supernatural insight or is his word powerful and effective even when he is not physically present? Effective in his absence to bring about what he wills. Well, we can't tell yet. But the rest of the story goes on to answer that question. We'll make clear the power of Jesus' word. The man goes. It says, he believed the word which Jesus spoke to him and he set off. Notice that he believes Jesus' word without a sign. He believes something whose fulfilment he will only be able to see later. He believes in the absence of seeing. And his believing, his faith, is seen in his obedience now to the word of Jesus, acting on the word now, even before he has seen its fulfilment. He goes, and the next day, because it's a long journey, he meets his servants coming up with him with good news that just as Jesus had said, his son lives. His faith in Jesus' word was vindicated. And he asked them when his son got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon the fever left him, they say. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live, your son lives. At that exact time. So the official, and we know now, that Jesus was not looking into a crystal ball when he says, your son lives. Jesus is not just someone with the, the knack of knowing how things will turn out. Jesus' word is powerful and effective. It brings about what Jesus intends, what he purposes, even when Jesus is not physically present. And the man responds to this revelation of Jesus' greatness in the only reasonable way. So he and his whole household believed. He believed. Before he believed the particular word, Jesus spoke to him. But now he believes. He believes Jesus, believes he is who he says he is, will do what he says he will do. His faith was confirmed and grew from his experience of Jesus' faithfulness, an experience only believers know. And he brings his whole household with him by his testimony to Jesus. Now think for a moment about this man's journey to faith in Jesus. He did not get what he was asking for in his desperation. He was asking, come down. He got something better, something more, by believing Jesus' word. It was better because his son was spared many hours more of sickness. It would take time to travel down to Capernaum and all the time the son would have been getting worse. Jesus, answering his way, healed in the moment. 
Uh, the official getting his own way would have actually meant more suffering for his son. Believing Jesus' word, having things done Jesus' way, was better. And he got more. He learnt the power of Jesus' word, that it brings into being what it promises, what it promises even if its fulfilment is initially unseen by us. And so the official learnt and came to trust, to believe in Jesus as the one who speaks the word of God, the one whose word, a word that promised life, could be trusted even when it spoke of things he could not see. A word of promise good not just for life now, but as Jesus claims, good for life forever. And what was his journey to life? Well, it was a journey from faith to faith. He came with a need that was beyond his own resources to meet, attracted by the reputation of Jesus. And that may be you this morning, coming to Jesus with needs you long to be met, to fix your marriage, to rescue your children, to take away your anxiety, coming because you've heard of Jesus' reputation as powerful and compassionate. This man came and he met a confronting word, a word that rebuked his lack of faith, that desire for signs, which is his desire to stay in charge of our lives, to only deal with Jesus on our terms, where we can see, can trust ourselves and our judgments and not Jesus, just use Jesus. That may be you too. You're getting close to Jesus and you actually hear a confronting word, that Jesus calls for your repentance and trust, that he calls you to give up trusting yourself and turn back to accept his rule over your life. Oh, you hear a word perhaps that exposes your own sin, your selfishness or harsh words, and Jesus calls you to turn from that to follow him. What will you do with that confronting word? Well, rather than walk away, this man humbled himself to persist with his request for his need. His longing was deep and he knew he had nowhere else to turn. He humbled himself. This royal official, a man used to being in charge, humbled himself to believe Jesus' word and to be directed by Jesus. Oh, when the official came to Jesus, he had a plan about what should happen and what Jesus should do. But Jesus had another plan. And in believing Jesus' word, he was actually confessing that Jesus was greater, to be trusted, that it was right to do things Jesus' way, not his own. And yes, he had his longing met, Jesus' way. Starting by believing Jesus' words and so obeying Jesus' word, he came to see how much greater Jesus was that he was someone who could be trusted with his whole life and not just his life, but the life of those he loved. It's where we all have to start, isn't it? With Jesus' word. Whether it's a word that says, repent and believe or come to me, you who labour and are heavy laden, or leave all to follow me. And in believing, we find Jesus faithful. No, it's right to believe all Jesus' words, to believe Jesus. Is that you? Are you able to humble yourself to hear Jesus 
And are you believing Jesus' words and leaving your need in his hands? John concludes this section with a verse that takes us back to chapter 2, verse 11, so that we would ponder what we've just witnessed and heard, so that we for whom this story has been recorded would see Jesus' greatness. And the NIV says this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now again, that's not a great translation because it makes you think that there was a first sign performed after Jesus came into Galilee. But where is that first sign? He's just arrived. There is no other sign recorded when he's come back to Galilee. Literally, this can be translated, furthermore, Jesus made this to be second sign, having come from Judea to Galilee. And when you read it like that, it tells you that John is actually deliberately referring back to John 2.11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first, the beginning of the signs, through which he revealed his glory. The first sign that Jesus, in a sense, appointed was Cana in Galilee. Here's the second. And it's deliberately done in Cana to make you think of that first sign. But why call it second sign? Hasn't Jesus done many other signs? Well, yes, he has. Back in chapter 2, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, or Nicodemus coming to Jesus. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing. But amongst the many signs and wonders Jesus does, John says Jesus is deliberately singling out this one, and John is deliberately recording it to point to the same thing the first sign pointed to. First sign, second sign both pointing to the same thing. Well, what did the first sign, the turning of water into a wine, point to? Well, it says Jesus' glory, that Jesus had both the compassion and creative power of God himself, that he is genuinely, truly the word become flesh, whose reality is the reality of God. Jesus makes this healing the second sign to reveal to us that same glory, the glory of the unique Son, full of grace and truth. How does it do that? Well, what's seen in this second sign? Well, what we see here is a powerful word, like the very word of God Isaiah spoke of. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Jesus' word, Jesus' word alone, because he is absent, accomplishes what he desires, achieves his purpose. And what we also see here is that this powerful word is a word that gives life. Jesus has been promising life to those who believe in him. We've seen that, haven't we? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
Whoever drinks of the water I give them, says Jesus, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is revealed in this second sign is that Jesus' word brings life. Death and life are the issue. Death is what is threatening. Come down, my child's about to die. Come down before my child dies. And in response, it is stressed that what is given is life. Life by the word of Jesus. Verse 50, your son lives. Verse 51, the servants say his child lives. Verse 53, he knew in that, that that was the hour in which Jesus had said, your son lives. What do we see? Death is no match for the word of Jesus. That corruption and dissolution that comes with terminal illness is met and overcome by Jesus' word effortlessly in his absence. That Jesus' word is true even if its fulfilment is not immediately seen by us. In seeing the powerful, life-giving word of Jesus, what is revealed is that Jesus is the word, the eternal word become flesh, the word from God speaking the words of God who should be believed. Believe by us, for this is a sign for us who have that word, the word of Jesus and not the physical presence of Jesus, and who need to know the power of Jesus' word. This is for us. We hear of many other signs, but this second sign is recorded for us so that we should believe in Jesus. So what are you seeking this morning from Jesus? Whatever it is, are you desperate enough to keep listening and so to receive from Jesus what he is willing to give on his terms. Are you desperate enough not to be deterred by hard words, words you might find personally confronting that say reveal your faithlessness or your thanklessness or your determination to stay in charge of your own life? Are you desperate enough to not be deterred because you know you have nowhere else to go? Now, friends, every one of us should be that desperate. You should be that desperate. For death is the end of every one of us and we have nowhere else to go. Your good works, your money, your family, your philosophy, they won't give you life. They won't spare you from death, for death, eternal death, is the judgment on our sins and none of those things can bring us forgiveness from the Holy God. Here in the word of Jesus is life in a world of death. Life in Jesus himself, who's shown that, who has died himself and risen, who has life in himself and can give life to all who trust him through his word of promise. Recognise your desperate situation and keep listening until you hear his promise, his repeated promise as a promise spoken by Jesus to you.
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, says Jesus, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Recognise your desperate situation. Listen to Jesus. Know he is speaking to you and believe for life for you have nowhere else to go. And if you say you believe in Jesus, well, is your Jesus big enough to be trusted to give you what you really need, his way, by his word? Is he who he is, the eternal son, who reveals the father in whom we see God, grace and truth? the one in whom, in Paul's words, dwell all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily, who speaks the word of the living God, whose every word is true and should be believed and obeyed. Is your Jesus big enough to give life to all so that you cheerfully urge people to turn to him? Is your Jesus big enough so that you keep listening to his word, even his confronting words, words our society might want to make you feel embarrassed about. You know those words, that he is the only way to the Father, that you cannot honour the living God without honouring him with your trust, that if you do not worship God as he has revealed himself in his Son, then you are an idolater, that God's wrath rests on those who will not repent and believe in Jesus. All those confronting words that tell you that you should love him above all and leave all to follow him. So often we disfigure our Christian lives by acting as if Jesus has no right to say this or that to me or others, as if he is not big enough. Is your Jesus big enough to bring you to repent of thinking that he is just there to meet your needs and serve your agenda big enough to give better and more where we trust him to give us what he wills by his word. Jesus made this his second sign. See his glory and trust his word. Trust his word for the life he promises, the life you will need if you will not die forever. Let's pray. True and living God, we thank you that you sent your son into the world and we thank you that he speaks the word of God, that his word is sure, powerful, effective to achieve his purposes. And we thank you that this word, his word, promises life to every one of us who will turn and trust him. Life not just for now, but forever. The good life in your presence where there's no pain or death, sickness, no mourning. We pray in your mercy that we would hear Jesus speak in his word to us and we would trust him. Amen.